Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of June 22nd, 2023. As always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side, we're going to go over a few things in the news at the moment, some of them insufficiently in the news, so to speak, and um, tie them together. First, the occupied West Bank, getting a lot of coverage, deservedly. Israel is planning massive expansion of settlement construction in defiance of world opinion and international law. And on uh, June 19th, this Monday, carried out a deadly military raid at the Janine refugee camp site of the infamous atrocities carried out by the Israeli military in the Second Intifada in 2002. And this new raid at Janine set off a chain of reprisals which escalated to Israeli settlers rampaging through Palestinian towns, ransacking and torching buildings. What is getting less coverage is the violence in the illegally annexed Golan Heights, where Israeli police just today, this past day, June 21st, clashed with Druze farmers who blocked roads and burned tires to protest the seizure of their lands for a wind farm to be built by an Israeli company. And also not getting much coverage is the violence in Manipur, a state in isolated northeast India, which we discussed last week, where some 100 have been killed in intercommunal clashes, as they are called in India, between two ethnic groups, the Meite and the Kuki. And in both the West Bank and Manipur, there is a cycle of violence, so to speak, that is a dynamic of reprisal attacks that fuel each other in a vicious circle, but also in both cases, an aggrieved party that is being usurped of its lands, which is the fundamental motor of the violence a reality often obfuscated in media depictions of a so-called cycle of violence. And on the West Bank, this aggrieved party is, of course, the Palestinians. And in Manipur, it is Vakuki and a related group called the Naga. And interestingly, on June 22nd, this Thursday, today, as I am now ranting, Joe Biden is hosting India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi at a state dinner at the White House, rolling out the proverbial red carpet for the man who has overseen, over the years of his rule in India, a dramatic escalation in violent attacks on Muslims, secularists, untouchables or Dalits, and tribal peoples or Adivasis, 
such as Vakuki. I note happily that Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan tweeted, quote, It's shameful that Modi has been given a platform at our nation's capital. His long history of human rights abuses, anti-democratic actions, targeting Muslims and religious minorities, and censoring journalists is unacceptable. I will be boycotting Modi's joint address to Congress. End quote. Very good, Rashida. More of this, please. But I'll note that while the United States is making some requisite protests over the settlement expansion on the West Bank that our tax dollars fund in the form of aid to Israel, and while there was at least some slight focus on human rights in the coverage of Secretary of State Blinken's meeting with Xi Jinping in Beijing, there has been practically none in that of Biden's meeting with Modi, nor more than the most perfunctory coverage of the violence in Manipur. So, let's go over the basics. The Kuki are primarily in Manipur state, but also in some of the neighboring states, including Nagaland to the north, and some are even across the border in Burma, because the British drew the administrative lines through their mountain territory so as to weaken their power. What? British colonialism fucking shit up for generations to come by drawing arbitrary borders and playing colonized peoples off against each other? I know, right? <clears throat> and the um, favored people, both under the British and under the current Indian state, have been the Mete, who control the fertile agricultural land in Manipur's central Imphal Valley. But whose leaders are nonetheless attempting to get the Mete listed as a scheduled tribe, a designation that the Kuki and Naga already have, because this would grant them access to forest lands up in the hills, which are set aside for so-called tribal peoples like the Kuki and Naga who fear that they will be thusly usurped of their traditional lands, and in fact already have been, to a large degree, usurped of their traditional lands by illegal encroachment and settlement. And this is the issue that is fueling the violence, that since it first erupted in early May, has now left some 100 dead and 60,000 displaced. Concerning us tonight is that there is a religious element to this conflict, with the Mete overwhelmingly Hindu and therefore favored under the Bharatiya Janata Party, BJP, or Indian People's Party, of Narendra Modi, which rules both the union government in Delhi as well as the Manipur state government in Imphal, the state capital, under, of course, an ideology of right-wing Hindu nationalism, or Hindutva, 
Just on June 20th, this past Tuesday, the Indian Supreme Court refused to hear an urgent plea from Kuki tribal leaders seeking army protection for their communities, finding that the conflict was just a matter of law and order and should be left to the Manipur State Police. And we know how that's been working out, basically giving local oppressive forces free reign. And the Kuki and Naga, clearly not favored by either the Manipur or Delhi governments, are mostly Christian, with a significant syncretistic animist element to their outward Christianity, which they were introduced to by missionaries some two centuries ago, and very interestingly, a sizable minority of the Kuki are Jewish. Yes, really. There is a people among the Kuki who call themselves the Bene Menashe, who claim descent from one of the ancient Israelite tribes and practice their own very ancient form of Judaism, close to the religion of the Hebrew priesthood, which would seem to loan legitimacy to their claims of descent. More about this later. There is an armed rebel group called the Kuki National Organization, which has been observing a ceasefire for the past few years, but still seems to have a de facto autonomous zone up in the mountains of Manipur, where they fly a flag with both green, red, and blue fields, which seem to be the colors of the Kuki people, and a Star of David. At least one member of the Bene Menashe community has been killed in the violence over the past weeks, and two synagogues, as well as numerous churches, apparently put to the torch. And over 1,000 members of the Bene Menashe community, or 20% of their total numbers, have been displaced. Now, I should point out that the Christian Kuki are being attacked as well by Mete mobs. Nothing suggests the Bene Menashe are being singled out more than any other members of the Kuki people. Uh, but this does, in fact, remain a wave of attacks on a Jewish community. And guess what? It appears that Israel's cultural agents and emissaries are on the ground attempting to exploit the situation. There are two organizations, Shaveh Israel, or Return to Israel, and Amishav, or My People Return, both in Hebrew, of course, which I will give credit to for working to raise the alarm about the plight of the Beni Menashe and winning them some coverage, at least, in the Israeli media. However, they both appear to have an agenda, as their names imply, of encouraging the Bene Menashe and other so-called lost Jewish groups around the world to make Aliyah, that is, to emigrate to Israel. It was due to the efforts of these groups that in 2005, the chief rabbinate of Israel, 
officially affirmed the identity of the Bene Menashe as a lost tribe of the Jewish people, although they have to undergo formal Orthodox conversions upon arrival in Israel. And in fact, many have made Aliyah over the past generation, and the Bene Menashe today appear to be about equally divided between those who remain in India and those who emigrated to Israel, about 5,000 in either country. And these two organizations, Shaveh Israel and Amishav, are petitioning both the Israeli and Indian governments to speed the process. And very disconcertingly, at least some of the Bene Menashe have been settled on the West Bank, becoming demographic cannon fodder for the Zionist project, so to speak. I first became aware of this almost exactly 20 years ago, in July 2003, when we ran a report on the website now known as Counter Vortex. It had another name back then, which I will um, now read into the record because it's very relevant to the current situation. I should mention that I believe this report was not written by me, but by my longtime collaborator and resident expert on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, David Bloom. At a Knesset Immigration Absorption Committee debate in June 2003, Labor MK, member of the Knesset, the Labor Party, Ophir Pines Paz, protested that several dozen Bene Menashe members had recently been brought to settlements after they had undergone hasty conversion. Quote, This is an amazing and infuriating story, said Pines Paz. How is it possible that hundreds of people are being brought from India to go to settlements? They are arriving clandestinely. It is a disgrace. This is illegal immigration, and it must stop immediately. End quote. Pines opined that the new immigrants should first be brought to places in Israel proper to understand the normal life of the country, quote-unquote, and then be given the choice to decide where to live. So not taking as strong a stance against illegal settlement on the West Bank, as we would hope, but at least he was raising the alarm about the situation. Quote, I think the whole thing is something that is totally unacceptable. You bring people from all over the world, from Mexico, from India, from wherever, straight to the settlements, Pines added. Committee Chair M.K. Colette Avital, also of the center-left Labor Party, said it was clear the newcomers were being brought to Israel to bolster the settlements in the occupied territories. Quote, simple Indians are being brought here to save the settlement movement, she said somewhat condescendingly. There are many millions of people in India who would prefer to go to the suburbs of Gaza than to remain in the reality of Kashmir. Is it possible that the chief rabbis are lending a hand to missionary activities? End quote. 
Okay, a few things to say about this quote. Uh, the first is that Avital was confused about the geography. Kashmir is the conflict in India that actually does get some coverage from the world media, certainly far more than that in Manipur, but it is nowhere near Manipur. It's more than a thousand miles away, and the conflict there involves totally different ethnic groups. Uh, secondly, we should point out that there are um, <clears throat> no more Israeli settlements in the Gaza Strip today. They were cleared out with the Israeli quasi-withdrawal from Gaza in 2005, although the Strip remains effectively under siege. And uh, finally, in her reference to missionary activity, Colette Avital was implicitly saying that the Bene Menashe are not really who they say they are. I don't go along with that. I'm willing to believe that, in fact, they are who they say they are. Rabbi Eliyahu Avichel, founder of Amishav, whose work involves bringing far-flung purported members of the lost tribes of Israel back, quote-unquote, <laughs> to the modern state of Israel, said that only the settlements are prepared to take in the Bene Menashe because they exist in a penurious state. There were then, writing 20 years ago now, some 750 Bene Menashe living in the settlements of Kiryat Arba, Gush Katif, and Beit El, which I believe are all in the area of Hebron. One wonders if the uh, number has significantly grown since then. All of that was uh, from reports in the Israeli media at the time. But uh, here's some deep history on the Bene Menashe, according to their own account on their website, benemenashe.com. Yes, really. The Bene Menashe, or children of Manasseh, believe they are descended from the Jewish tribe of Manasseh, who fled the northern kingdom of Israel, as opposed to the southern kingdom of Judah, with the um, Assyrian invasion of 744 BCE, before Common Era. They first were exiled to Assyria now in Iraq, and some 400 years later, still further east, to escape the armies of Alexander the Great, first to what's now Afghanistan, and eventually across the Himalayas into China. They believed they were the only Jews left and lived quietly under Chinese rule until late in the 13th century, CE, when apparently to escape persecution, about which sources are vague, they went to live in caves in a mountainous area of southern China, probably Yunnan or Sichuan province, where they acquired the name Xinlong, which means cave dwellers in Chinese, I presume. Not sure. About 500 years ago, the Chinese discovered the Xinlong in their refuge, 
seized their holy parchment, which according to Xin Lung tradition was their Torah, and drove them into what is today India and Burma, where an estimated one to four million Xin Lung live today either side of the line. Today, mostly called the Kuki in India and the Chin in Burma. Although most were Christianized over the past centuries, some 10,000 live as actively Jewish Bene Manashe in 13 towns in India. Of this number, several thousand have formally converted to Orthodox Judaism, and many of them seek to emigrate to Israel. According to Rabbi Avihel, Jewish customs that have survived through the Christianization of the Bene Menashe include circumcision performed with rocks, ouch, in a manner consistent with the Torah, but without reference to the rabbinic and halakhic traditions, which they were not exposed to in their exile, their priest, as opposed to rabbi, mentions in services the patriarchs Abraham and Isaac, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, and uses the Hebrew word for God, which was technically unutterable, though I assume they mean Yahweh, the acronym or tetragrammaton for the unutterable name of God. Under Avihel's direction, several thousand Bene Menashe have adopted rabbinic and halakhic modern Judaism, that is to say, not just based on the Torah or first five books of the Old Testament, but also the Talmud, the commentaries and system of law expounded by the rabbis after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, first by the Babylonians and then centuries later by the Romans. Now, I'm not sure how this squares with what I've read about an animist tradition among the Kuki before their conversion to Christianity, and there might be elements other than the Israelite tribe of Manasseh making up the ethnogenesis of the Kuki, but all the Kuki seem to accept that their ancient name was the Shinlong, and that they emigrated centuries ago from China into India and Burma. All very intriguing and interesting, but also very tragic. Here we have the Bene Menashe, a land-rooted people, being usurped of their traditional territories and generally persecuted and oppressed by the authorities in India, being pitted against the Palestinians, a land-rooted people, being usurped of their traditional territories and generally persecuted and oppressed by the Israeli authorities. Once again, an illustration of how a divide-and-rule game is the essence of the international state system. The Kuki and the Palestinians are natural allies who are being pitted against each other on the West Bank. Can we see 
In repudiation of this, kooky Palestinian solidarity. I will note that from one point of view, the kooky and Palestinians have a common enemy, given the Tel Aviv-Delhi anti-terror alignment, with Israel providing arms and even Mossad intelligence assistance for India's counterinsurgency operations in Kashmir, an alignment which ideologically is a Zionist Kindutva alliance forged by the perceived common struggle against jihadism. But this, of course, does not preclude a strong anti-Semitic element to Modi's ruling ideology of Hindutva, given its fascist legacy, which we discussed in our podcast of October 7th, 2019. And a a shout-out to another one of our earlier contributors, from the early years of the counter vortex, the journalist Sabuhi Jiwani, now back in her native India and based in Mumbai, who did a lot of important work for us on the intellectual and political roots of Hindutva in classical European fascism. Important stuff, you can look it up in our archive. <clears throat> so we here on the counter vortex are going to be doing what we can, however modest it may be, to contribute to the cause of kooky Palestinian solidarity. We raise a voice for the kooky in Manipur, even as we warn them in comradely manner against being exploited in a design for the usurpation and expropriation of another land-rooted people on the West Bank. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org, where everything I've been discussing tonight is all fastidiously blogged up, hyperlinked, and documented. Please support us on Patreon. I will note that progressives complain all the time that the Corporate media is overlooking wars in the global south in favor of that in Ukraine. But I find that even among those same progressives, there is very little interest in conflicts in places like Manipur. Put your money where your mouth is. The Counter Vortex is serious about providing consistent, ongoing, informed commentary on underreported conflicts around the world. If you actually appreciate such work, please support us. We ask just $1 per weekly podcast on Patreon. Join the Counter Vortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time.